Welcome to the Nailed It Wall. Ah! Welcome to this week's episode of The Nailed It Wall. We have Rachel Mann on, author of Spaces You'll Go and Martian Classroom. You're going to hear about some public speaking, which works out well. We're on a podcast. Right. I'm pumped up for this. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome to episode 53. I'm Mr. Lane, the STEM guy. And I'm Mrs. Schofield. And I am Rachel Mann. All right. We are pumped. We are pumped to have you on. Uh, you were just talking before we got on the podcast of how many people are excited to have her on. And I know. You're a celebrity, uh, not just in a small realm, but there's a lot of big people that uh, speak very highly of you. So, so oh. cool. We feel incredibly honored. Especially on Labor yeah. Day weekend, taking some time. You said it's just another weekend. You know, it's a weekend where we have a Monday off, but we appreciate you taking the time on Labor Day weekend. Yeah. For sure. Well, I'm, I'm excited to be here and thank you. And I'm um, humbled and honored for the accolades, but thank you very much. As we start every episode, we start off with our nailed it. How do you nail it this week, partner? Well, I, I have to say, you know, when we first started back to school, the, one of the biggest things I was worried about as an eighth grade teacher was how do you make sure that you have built a sense of community um, virtually? And how do you get the kids to show up and teach in a way that's kind of similar to hands-on, but without the ability of teaching hands-on? And so I will say that this past week, you know, where the kids are, we just entered September and I'm feeling like things are going well. You know, my kids show up, they participate, you know, utilize breakout rooms and things like that. And, and they're talking and their projects that they've been turning in have been truly just mind blowing. And what's cool is uh, I'll give a project, but then they'll want to take it in a direction that's like 10 times more complex and more interesting than even what I had envisioned. And I'm just really, really amazed by the buy-in and how close the kids have become in a virtual classroom. Um, so I'm pretty pumped about that, actually. I love it. I love it. You're, you're doing a great job building that sense of community. And, it's, you know, we're, we're going to the second week of September of this virtual learning environment. Crazy. We're surviving. We're surviving. You know, we're, we're getting, I always tell the kids, I'm like, we're one week closer to being back at school. And then the kids are on Zoom. They're like, what? We're going back to school next week. I'm like, no, 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 no. I did not say that. Uh, what, what's your nail to this past week, Rachel? You know, I did my uh, first first keynote that was to only two people. Um, <laughs> there's a conference in, in New Mexico that uh, is now going to be virtual on September 15th. And they decided to have a videographer record it in advance. And uh, so that was interesting to put yourself in the shoes that you're in the future actually talking to people because they're going to be hearing this and listening in. But, you know, at the moment you're talking to your videographer and his assistant. <laughs> so, so that was actually pretty, pretty exciting. And it was, you know, a little out of my comfort zone, but it went well and it was just such a great experience and nice to see people face to face. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's got to be a really weird thing as a keynote speaker though, because you would vibe off the energy of your audience and like kind of, you know, you're kind of playing off of that. And, you know, I'm sure that's got to be a really weird missing component, much like I think like athletes playing in front of, you know, empty stands, but it's got to be, you know, kind of a mental shift that you would have to do for that. 
Oh, big time. And fortunately, the videographer and his assistant, they were very expressive. And they were, I so appreciated that, that I could at least feed off their energy. Because yeah, that makes a a big difference. Even in a virtual keynote, virtual environment, you're able to see the faces of the participants. So yeah, yeah, it was interesting. But I I was excited that it all turned out well and wasn't, wasn't as difficult as I expected. Now, where do you stand on virtual PD versus being there in person? Like, what 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 has that shift been like for you? You know, okay, so there's I two different sides to it. One is that it has been I didn't realize how much I liked being home, (laughs) and you know, when everything started getting canceled, and I was just like, wow, my schedule just cleared quickly, and I I really enjoyed and embraced the. the extra time that I've had from not spending nights in hotels or in airports and uh, that, that side of it. But, oh, I miss the in-person connection. It's just that we've, I think that people have done a great job shifting to virtual, but it's, there's just so many different elements that are missing to it that you can't replace. So super excited for when we're able to get back to in-person events again. Yeah. Uh, that's so cool to kind of hear that, you know, like so many people are kind of divided and be like, I love virtual PD. It's just like, it's there, it's there. But then so many people are like, I just love being in person. I love the travel. Like, it's just like who I am now. It's like, you kind of get in that mindset of you got your favorite cities that you get to go with favorite organizations that you work with. And it's just, you know, we've all had to adapt in a certain way. And, you know, we want to get back to that point and me and you are so bummed ISTE's gone virtual you know breaks our heart I know because we were excited to go like go there kind of thing and then just be like an experience that's the thing about you know I think PD is going to be different it'll be accessible uh on a, a much higher level you know it's so much more accessible and you guys can be in places like so many more places because you know you don't have to travel and have that time constraints however like the networking part of it the experience part of it you know being together you know that's that's different so you know there's something gained there's something lost it's just looks different well and with that i think it's going to be interesting to see um, how we change as a society. Like at what point will people actually feel comfortable being in a room with a lot of other people or, you know, handshakes? <laughs> will we ever get back to shaking hands again or hugs, you know, all those different things. So uh, yeah, it'll, it, it'll be, um, it'll be, well, the hindsight is 2020 has new meaning, but it'll have even more meaning when we're looking back <laughs> hindsight at 2020. Well played. Well played. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So very uh, true. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, well, my nail that this week, we, we run the announcements for our, our school and we do a great job just like engaging our community and keeping everyone pumped up. And a couple of weeks ago, we had our new assistant principal on and we live in Glendale, Arizona. And I was talking about, I went for a run and I was like, I was like, you want to believe it? I saw a raccoon. And the two of you looked at me like I had two heads. You didn't believe that no. there's raccoons here in the valley. And then the other night I went for another run and I saw one come run by. I just took on my phone as I'm running, tried to take a picture. And then all of a sudden uh, it got away and I put my phone away. (laughs) Then like seven more raccoons came running across there. But the fun part is, you know, how we engage our, our, our students. You know, we started this segment. We're like, we're going to put you on the beat. Uh, what do we call it? SV Viper. Yeah, like uh, 
I think that's what it was. Something that, yeah, and we're and we're like, you're gonna get out there. You're gonna you're gonna capture these, uh, capture a picture of these, and you're like, don't capture them, just capture a picture. And our kids are just so excited, and so many parents were on our Facebook page, being like, we love these announcements, and we've seen them, and and just so cool. And like you thought it was a myth, like Bigfoot that is actually raccoons. It does feel a lot like a Loch Ness kind of Bigfoot vibe. You know these stories. It's like the big fish story. However there has been a lot of confirmation that perhaps he is legitimate in this. And that's what my favorite thing is, is the excitement and the community around that. Um, and like from little kids up to, you know, the parents, and then you have like our people that, you know, um, our maintenance crew, you know, one of the women was like, Oh my gosh, there was one on our campus. She takes a picture and posts it. I just love that it brings people together, you know, yeah. conversations. Well, and I actually used to live behind Mountain Ridge High School in That's Glendale. That's where we are. That's where we are. Oh. We're right there. We're okay. I would see. I would see a raccoon. Every, well, my dogs would see it first usually, <laughs> but there was a huge <laughs> raccoon that we would see from time to time. So I can vouch for you on that one. <laughs> I like it. I like. I appreciate it, Rachel. Yeah. I, I needed you last week. I needed you last week. But uh, we, we we have our Sierra Verde Vipers there, and it's They're so cool that you have uh, your daughters at Mountain Ridge right now. We have that that connection. We're a feeder school right in the mountain ridge and small world, small world mm -hmm. in this virtual environment. Um, <laughs> now with all that being said, tell us a little about your career as an educator um, and kind of what, what got you into education and you know, where it's led you today. You know, I, um, I'll be honest, I hated school. I was a very shy student and just, I would, uh, do anything to get out of going to school <laughs> and you know I was a good student I would make great grades but I would there would be um, semesters where I would miss like 17 18 days of school and so it was something where I wanted to become an educator to try to flip that around to be able to reach those kids that um, felt what I felt and so I think that that was something that really kept me in education. There were there were moments when I almost dropped out of my uh, teacher prep program. I hated speaking in front of people. That was something that I was so shy. And so there were I had some close moments even during my student teaching. And then uh, Columbine, not Columbine, um, uh, there was a shooting that happened in 1999. And I'm trying to remember the name of which one it was, but it was something that when I, just seeing how it impacted all of us, um, it really, you know, I switched my lesson plans to teach the seven habits of highly effective teens, Sean Covey was Stephen Covey's son. And it was just seeing the connections and the value, like being, you know, just how much I cared about those students and uh, the impact that you can make as an educator. And even my first year teaching something that college could have never prepared me for a moment where a student fell out of her desk. There was a letter on the desk. She had decided to commit suicide. And so, you know, we called in the paramedics, um, you know, they were able to save her. And I just remember a letter that she wrote to me at the end of that year and how that my family consumer sciences class was what made her continue on. Well, and also the way that I just embraced her and helped her through that. And it was just like so many powerful stories about how a teacher can really transform someone's life. Um, so that's, that's been something that even though I'm not in a classroom now, being able to work with educators and being able to uh, sometimes be that lifeline. I have a, there's a teacher who we uh, 
talk back and forth through Instagram all the time. And right now she's struggling with this virtual learning and just, be, you know, being able to be a lifeline for folks. That's, that's powerful. Wow. I mean, I we're, 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 yeah. we're off to a good start here. I know. Now you talk about, <laughs> you know, you, you talk about like you as an educator and even like someone that, you know, wasn't a fan of school growing up and even in like, you know, in college, there's times where you want to kind of throw in the towel. Is there that one teacher that kind of sticks out to you that kind of shaped like who you became as an educator? My mother, my, uh, she's, she was a teacher. She's retired now, but she was a teacher and then a school improvement coach. And so I was able to go to her as a teacher, you know, anytime I had a situation that I wasn't sure how to handle, she was that mentor that I would, I would call her up. She would talk me through it. And when I first moved to Arizona in 2009, and I was a I was teaching sixth grade science <laughs> and, you know, got here, there weren't any CT positions available. So I was teaching sixth grade science and I started in the middle of the year and I would every day call my mom at the end of the day and be like, mom, you know, I'm just having this struggling. And I remember her asking me, she was just like, Rachel, how often do you smile at your students? Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> my, I remember my response. I said, mom, <laughs> If you knew these kids, there's nothing to smile about. (laughs) That's my confession right now. And so she told me, she said, you know, I want you to go. I don't care if the kids learn anything this week. I want you to smile at every student every day at the beginning of class, meeting them at the door and smiling at them. And I realized that I was the problem. You know, I was (laughs) that one that the kids, everything turned around within a week and we started learning. And it was amazing how something so simple just really transformed the classroom. And, you know, it's, it's hard going in in the middle of a school year and taking over a class that's had sub, substitute after substitute. But, you know, it really did transform the classroom. Wow, that is crazy. And like sixth grade's a tough, that's a tough age, you know, uh, to step into. And like, but it's all about the connection, you know. And when kids know that you're not invested in them, then they will not learn. They just won't do it. You know, oh, absolutely. And it, and it was a huge transition going from high school to, uh, to sixth grade. But I fell in love with it. I mean, was, by the end of the school year, it was just, you know, tears when we were saying goodbye to each other. So, yeah, it was it was a, it was, a, it was quite the growth experience for me. As and an where educator. did you where did you move from? Um, I taught in northern Virginia, right outside of D.C. Okay. for for most of my teaching career. OK. Now, what do you love about the CTE, the CTE of uh, being an educator? Yeah. So with current technical education, a lot of times you get to have the same students year after year, which means even deeper relationships. So I had students when I was teaching in Tucson at, uh, for Pima JTED, who I had them from ninth grade and got to watch them graduate and still staying in touch. But everything, just like in your world, it's so hands-on and you're working side by side with these students doing catering events, you know, getting up early in the morning to do breakfast snack bars, going on field trips together, um, watching them win awards and scholarships through their their, uh, student organization. It was FCCLA for us. And that's... That's just something that I think that CTE educators are fortunate to really be able to build those relationships and to know that you're preparing kids. Every teacher is preparing kids for a career, but it's such a specific career path. And sometimes it's as much about helping those kids learn what they don't want to do. I had a, had a girl who was just, uh, just so talented in culinary, and she came to me her senior year and she said, 
miss, you're going to be, you're probably going to be upset at what I'm going to tell you, but I've decided not to go into culinary. I want to be an early childhood education teacher. And I'm like, yes, we need more teachers. <laughs> like that's, that's fantastic. You'll use the skills that you learned in my culinary class for the rest of your life. But uh, culinary can be a really tough world too. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's exciting to see them make those choices and get to actually experiment with and learn uh, what they want to do through your program. Well, and you don't have to explain to them the practical applications of what you're trying to teach them. They see that like immediately, you know, that's what they're doing in their day to day, which is such a great opportunity as an educator to have that connection. You know, I'm doing cell division this past week and that's a tougher cell, right? You know, thank you. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting because like you are, you're giving them life skills and it's not just the, like you said, it's not just the topic that you're teaching them, but it's the confidence to go out there. It's the understanding um, how to interact with other people and all of that, you know, which is such a cool opportunity as an educator. Now we were doing some research on you and there was a time that you actually called in sick because you did not want to speak in front of teachers. Can you, can, <laughs> can you share that story with us? Yes. Yes. So um, I've, I've had people ask me there about public speaking and have mentioned how it's so hard for them to stand up in front of a group and speak. And I'm like, oh, trust me, I get it. <laughs> uh, I, I was asked to do a training for a large group of teachers and I prepared for it like crazy and uh, was so nervous all night long. I was liter literally sick <laughs> because I was so nervous about doing that training the next day. And I ended up canceled, like calling in sick. And it was just that moment of feeling disappointed in myself and realizing, yeah, you know, I've, I've got to wrap my head around this. <laughs> and uh, it was, and it was something where I just started saying yes. Anytime someone asked me to speak, it, I realized I've got to say yes to it. And then when I got to the Arizona Department of Ed, I was put in charge. Put in charge of the Ed Rising program as the state director and had to train high school students how to speak in public. And that was, that was a great opportunity to really hone my craft while I'm working with them to help them develop their skills and to do more than just reading a speech, you know, just to be able to really learn how to connect with an audience. You know, I, there's not a lot of people that specifically shift their career path in order to do the thing that they're most terrified to do. Like, that's a pretty unique position for you to be in to say, like, I'm terrified of public speaking, so I'm going to make my whole life's work surrounding that to, you know, not only get past it yourself, but then help other kids break that barrier. I, t I was super painfully shy shy so shy when I was growing up and I had those same terrifying fears and like for me when I have eighth graders that don't want to stand in front of the class or those kinds of things I'm like I totally get this like I get it but you'll get through it but to be able to face those fears and to put yourself out there and um, make yourself just kind of like go through this evolution is is really amazing like I admire that in you greatly Oh, well, thank you. And you know, and I have to mention, there's, you may have heard of Jamie Cassip. He of was course. the Google evangelist. Yes. Well, he, I had went to, we're friends and I went to him and asked him to do a keynote for an event and he wasn't available. And I said, do you know someone else who might be able to do it? And he said, yeah, you. 
<laughs> and that was something that I'm like, I'm not a keynote speaker. And he said, well, why not? And it, it planted that seed. And soon after that, someone asked me to be a keynote speaker at their event. So it was interesting to see how it all unfolded and someone literally just planting a seed there that I'd never even considered that as an option until he said that. Well, I think Jamie's the master of that, like so much. Like we had Colin on a couple of weeks ago and he was talking, I was sitting down talking with Jamie and, yeah. and Jamie's like, everyone wants to get a job at Google. Like that's what everyone they wants. Like you don't, don't work at Google, start your own Google. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, go from there, you know, and just like, that, that's just who he is. And yeah. just like, you know, just such, you know, someone that's so amazing. Now, what's your role with NAU? Is that where you kind of like work with like teachers and kind of support? Yeah, so I, I was only with NAU for NAU for a year, and it was through the Arizona K-12 Center, which is underneath mm -hmm. NAU. And with that, I was the Network to, Network to Transform Teaching uh, Director and also helped great them title. with their National Board Certificate. I know, right? <laughs> like, how can I refuse that job? That's a great title. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I did, that, I did that for a year and was trying to balance doing different um, speaking engagements and other things on the side and then decided that I just wanted to venture off and start my own company in 2016. Now talk to us a little bit about Teach Like Ted. Like what, what, what is Teach Like Ted? Yeah, so, okay, I mentioned before about working with the Ed Rising Group training state officers. One of the things that we would do is look at TED Talks and dissect them. What made them effective? Looking, even looking at TED Talks without, with the volume off and watching their body language and <laughs> really, cool. uh, really deciding whether they were effective or not just by looking at their body language. And I uh, did a presentation called Teach Like TED and was talking about how to incorporate the different elements of an effective TED talk. So the storytelling, the humor, the moving through different modalities that you kind of take your audience on an emotional roller coaster <laughs> throughout your talk. And I did the presentation and then it was something that people asked me to do it for a different organization. So it just it started rolling. And uh, I talked to an attorney before I started the company and, and decided to call the company Teach Like Ted. And I said, you know, do you think there's any conflict? Is, is this going to be a conflict with TED Talks? And he said, well, you know, they're a little loosey-goosey with their guidelines and it would probably take them a while to, for you to get their attention. And the only thing that they could do really is give you a um, cease and desist. I think that's what it's called. And um, uh, within the first year. I got that email from uh, TED Talks <laughs> and I was so excited at first. I'm like, yes, I got their attention. And then I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and so, and so I asked them if we could, if we could jump on a call and I could show them the presentation and we, we talked and they said, yes, you can keep doing it, but you can't get paid for it. So ooh, I, ooh. it's still the, still the legal name of my company. And what I'll do is, tell organizations, you know, I'll do your keynote and then I'll throw this in complimentary if you'd like to, for me to do this, this. And sometimes I have people say, oh, but I want that to be the keynote. And I'm like, okay, then I'm charging you for the workshop and the keynote's free. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's something that I think it's a message that is, that is timeless because how we connect with other people is something that's just part of being human. And uh, so it, so that's still there at some point, the name of my company will change or my email address even will change. But for now it's, it's still, you know, um, Rachel, Rachel May Consulting or Teach Like Ted doing business as Rachel May Consulting. 
That's a, that's a great story there. So cool that, you know, within the first year you got their attention. You're like, you're like, I'm doing it right. You're I like, love your celebratory yeah. moment, but then the, the immediate terror of like what that means. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, how, as you watch these TED Talks on silent, like how accurate were you guys as you like kind of broke down these TED Talks in terms of like their success and everything that they did? Oh, you know, for the most part, I think that we were pretty right on. And it really shows the importance of how your facial expression, your body language, all of those different elements play into delivering a powerful message to your audience. Now, what is your favorite TED Talk? Yeah, I was wondering the same. Oh, good. There's so many. Um, but I would say Tim, Tim Urban, who he has a blog called Wait But Why, and he does a talk on procrastination that is fantastic. It's one that I never get tired of. I had a college professor who he was a research professor, and they gave him his own freshman class. And he came to me and he said, Rachel, this class is awful. The kids hate it. I, this isn't what I do. I'm a research professor. <laughs> and he wanted to know some things that he could do with his freshman class to, uh, to help engage them. And one of the things that I gave him was that talk. And then also Adam Grant's talk on um, the surprising habits of original thinkers. And he said that at the, at the survey at the end of the year where they had to say what their favorite classes were, it was those two classes where he showed them the TED Talks, um, but both have powerful messages, but just such fantastic delivery. Now, how many TED Talks do you think you've watched over the years? Oh, I, uh, one of my New Year's resolutions a couple of years ago was to watch a TED Talk a day. And I found that my problem, my problem wasn't watching a TED Talk a day. It was not, it was stopping <laughs> at just one because it could, you know, you just start like, oh, wait, here's another one in the playlist. I want to watch this too. So for that year alone, it was 365, but I've watched many more since then. So have you ever been to a live like recording of a TED Talk? And not to the main event. It's actually pretty expensive to go to the main to the main event in Vancouver. But I have been to TEDx events and actually spoke at the Grand Canyon TEDx uh, event a couple of years ago. That was amazing. Now, what what was that experience yeah. like? You know, kind of leading up to it. Like, is it like do you have a teleprompter? Is it like you just know your speech by heart? Oh, it, you do not have a teleprompter, and it is. The one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Delivering an hour-long keynote is so much easier than an 18-minute talk that you wow. know there's that extra pressure of being on that red circle and knowing that it's a TEDx <laughs> event. <laughs> uh, it, that was that was definitely my hardest talk that I've ever delivered, even over my very first keynote, which was so stressful. But yeah, that that was a, a tough experience. And yes, you have to have your timing down exactly you have it memorized to where as you're driving somewhere you're you're saying the talk out loud while you're cooking you're <laughs> giving your TED talk um, I'm sure my husband was glad when he could stop hearing me in the background <laughs> rambling my <laughs> off my talk <laughs> like how has how have these skills that you're that you're teaching other people to use and you know it's kind of like your life mantra how has it impacted you as a person like how you live your day-to-day -day and like interact because like this seems like a total mental shift and kind of like a way to live a life, not just a, you know, just not a career thing. Well, it's one of the things that that's impacted me is 
actually watching how someone reacts to a story and determining whether or not that's going to be a part of an upcoming talk. <laughs> it's, you know, you realize that there's so many stories that, that you, that can actually be a part of a talk and have an impact on your audience. So I think that that's, that's part of it, but really, you know, when people come back to you and tell you a year later something that they did that was from a presentation that they saw you deliver the presentation, that's huge. I had a dentist who was at a, it was a best practices conference through NCLA and he was there just as a board member and he attended my Teach Like Ted presentation and he came back to me the next year at that conference and told me how he went back and implemented different pieces of my presentation within his business, within his practice. That had not even occurred to me of using those pieces to start telling stories to your, to your uh, clients while you're working on their teeth or incorporating humor in your office. So that, that was exciting. And then I had another, uh, another one where the, the gal, because I changed my presentation all the time, and she was taking notes, and she literally says in front of everyone, she's like, wait, that's not the commandment you used last time. <laughs> and at another point, she's like, wait, you have to tell this story. And she wanted me to tell this story. And I'm like, oh, I'm so excited about how excited she is. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Now talk to us a little bit about the books. You have two books and like, how, how did those all come about? And when did you have, when did you find time to write these books? Yeah. Oof, I, well, there's been a couple of years where I haven't had much sleep. <laughs> the, uh, the Martians in your classroom started from reading a magazine on a Southwest flight. And there was an interview with Stephen Sanford, who at the time was a director at NASA. And he'd written a book called The Gravity Well. And he talked a little bit of it in the article about um, students and their role in us someday getting to Mars and how we need to revamp the education system. And I took a quote from that article and I put it on a word swag little image. And then I tagged him when I, when the flight landed, I it was, we had internet again. There wasn't internet on that flight, which is why I was reading a magazine <laughs> and uh, I tagged him in the post and he retweeted it. And then he sent me a friend request and um, I sent him a message through LinkedIn and asked him if I could interview him for an article to write an article for ACTE's Techniques Magazine. And I was going to be in DC for a STEM conference anyway. And he said, well, yeah, sure. So we met in person. And at the end of the interview, he said, hey, by the way, I would like for you to write my next book with me. And I, I told him, I said, oh, you have the wrong person. <laughs> and he said, no, no, I've been following your work through uh, online and um, you're, you're the right person for this, which for one, that shows the importance of your online presence, <laughs> that that's how that, that happened. Um, but also just to say yes to opportunities. That was another big takeaway from that. I almost said no to a very big opportunity and I was glad that I said yes to it. And went to EdTech team and asked them if they would be willing to publish it, which they were very excited about adding a STEM book to their collection. And the whole idea of the Martians in your classroom is that the first person to step foot on Mars has most likely been born and could be a student in your classroom. But not only that, uh, the world that they're growing up in, especially now, is so different than the world that I grew up in and probably you grew up in, that it really could be a different planet. You know, that's just the way that they interact with other people's different. The, um, you know, just the level of technology is so different. Yeah. Now, what was that process like? What was, what was the process from beginning to end? 
Well, they wanted it released um, for an ISTE conference in Chicago in 2018. They wanted that to be the release um, time and do a launch party. And so in order to do that, uh, I had went to EdTech team in October to talk to them about writing this book. And they said that they needed it by January <laughs> in order to have it published <laughs> in time. So I was, I was writing sometimes 12 hours a day. I was dreaming about space and about STEM <laughs> and sometimes waking up and writing down those ideas. But I actually wrote a lot of it on my cell phone using my thumb. Like I would be on a treadmill at the gym <laughs> writing in my notes app. <laughs> that is impressive. That is impressive. And, and, you know, and it was also, it shows how much our world's changed. The fact that I met Stephen in person once and then we wrote a book together virtually using shared docs. And then it was published. We didn't see each other again until we were at a conference after it had been released. And the, the organizers had purchased a copy for all their attendees. And so we did a book signing together. I did the keynote for the, for the event. But it was just so wild to think about this idea that we can do so much in this virtual world. That is an amazing story. Like that is an amazing story. And I love the attitude of just saying yes, like embracing, even though you can't see, you know, where that leads you, but just allowing yourself to go down that journey and, and do the process, like the opportunities that afforded you and how many people, I mean, we don't even know the ripple effect of what you created and how many people that will impact, you know, in your lifetime and beyond. It's pretty incredible. I love that. Now, what was your, before COVID, what was your travel schedule like? You're talking about like, you, you love being at home. You love the, the, the people connection. Tell us a little bit about your, your travel uh, schedule. Uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of travel. I was um, sometimes would be in multiple cities within the same week. Wow. And it, it was, I was working on cutting back some, but, um, for, but for the most part, it was almost every week being in a different city somewhere and sometimes waking up in the morning trying to remember where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> You're like that rock star. You're like, hello, Detroit. They're like, Detroit was last night. <laughs> I never got to that point. but <laughs> <laughs> It'll be great though. Yeah, it, it, I was definitely time. earning still time. miles. <laughs> so when this happened, like, and you had to shift, what were you shook by it or did you immediately feel like okay this is just like how was the transition of that to go from that kind of a schedule from that kind of a mindset that was what you were doing all the time what did that feel like were you you know because i think it rocked a lot of people and i know we're adaptable but it you know what did that look like for you well, I had watched everything unfold in China because my sister was teaching in China and she was sending me video clips of these buildings closed down and these empty streets and she had moved to a virtual environment with her school. And so I saw all of this happening. She, she was able to get to the Philippines uh, literally four hours before the Philippines closed the borders to anyone coming from, from China. And so, you know, I, I watched this, but yet I didn't feel like it could happen to us, which just shows our ego as, as Americans. It's like, oh, wow, this is really rocking some other countries. But just yeah. I didn't I, I couldn't see that that was going to happen here. And I remember being in Salem, Oregon for a, for a keynote that I was doing there for an organization, uh, March 10th and 11th. And my husband didn't want me to go. He's a doctor. And he was just like, yeah, I think you should cancel this. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm not canceling anything. And right before the keynote on March 11th, 
I had an email that I saw where someone was canceling an event. And then when I finished the keynote, I got a phone call, someone else canceling an event. And it was just within a matter of two days, seeing like the next few months being canceled. And there was a sense of, of almost, I guess, shock, but at the same time of, we've got it we've got to take care of this. Uh, you know, this is something that this is serious. And, and it was also, to be honest, a time for me to take care of my health. I took the, uh, took the quarantine piece very seriously and I was getting more sleep, exercising, making my own meals and eating healthy. And so, the, so there were some positive outcomes for it, on that side of, of it. Um, but it, it really helped me to kind of think through some of my priorities too, moving forward. Do I want to say yes to everything or be a little bit more selective to make sure that I am taking <laughs> care of my health and <laughs> taking care of things. But, you know, it was also, I was very fortunate to be able to, uh, NCLA had asked me to start doing some member engagement activities for their, for their members. And the timing worked out well because I started doing podcasts and webinars for them. And, you know, just some of these virtual events as well, which are, it's, it's a shift, but it's also exciting to, uh, to be able to see how, how we can do this, how we can make it work. That's so cool. Wow. Now, as we go back, you know, to travel, people getting back together, like, do you see yourself kind of taking a, a lighter kind of like a travel schedule or are you just like ready to get back out on the beat and, and, and meet as many people as possible and inspire all those people as you kind of get back out there? Well, according to research from some of the big organizations for public speaking, it may be a while before things get back to a normal schedule because of the budgets being impacted. So one of the easy things to cut is that those in-person conferences, um, but also people's comfort level. When are people, they've done surveys to see when people feel like they'll be comfort, comfortable in those in-person events. Uh, as soon as someone asks me to do something in person, I'm there. <laughs> so, you know, I, I may not be shaking hands or hugging. I'll still be doing social distancing as long as we need to. But as, as soon as the opportunity comes, I'll, I'll be back doing uh, doing them again. But I think that it probably will be a slow process for folks getting back into conferences. And I think that, too, a lot of organizations are seeing the possibilities of of doing some hybrid models and offering things in different ways in the future moving forward. It's such a cool thing of like where people can connect from everywhere or like just have it downloaded and you know, click on a button. It's like you pay this registration fee, you have that here and you can get so much more and you know, pick and choose. And a lot of times we go to conferences and we'll try to divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, this one was like so great. And we're like, we missed these two because like, you know, our, our schedules mm -hmm. uh, didn't work for that. and. Um, there's, there's just so much good from all this, but then there's just so much, you know, that, that has changed. Yeah. Now you talked about eating healthier and, um, working out more during, uh, COVID what's next. What, what do you have next on your agenda? Like where, where do you see this next chapter going? Well, you know, I, um, so last year I had a children's book published, The Spaces You'll Go, and that's something that I want to see turn into a series. So I think that continuing to write some of these children books, and that, and that was an interesting process because I, when I first took it to publishers, I had four publishers say no. They said that there's so many children's books 
books out there. They don't sell. And then I found a publisher who was excited about it and ACTE wanted to have it as part of their uh, conference for the book launch. So it, you know, it turned out to be a very positive thing. So I want to create a series where it's all career related, getting kids excited about STEM related careers in the future. So the next one will be the things you'll grow. And then another one um, on the things you'll code and just, you know, just looking at the future, how, how these different careers are going to look different in the future and getting kids excited through the characters of Cass and Kanga Blue. And then I also have a book that's being released next week through ACTE. It's called Your Competition Companion. And it's for high school students, well, middle school, high school and post-secondary who are in career and technical technical student organizations such as HOSA or DECA, FBLA, that are competing in events and helping them with their professional skills and even the hands-on portion, setting them up for success. That's so cool. Wow. That's so awesome. I mean, I mean, you're ready. You're yeah. ready. You're, you're, you're just taking life by the horns. Yeah. I love it. Now, we read about a student that you know won the Arizona speech competition and then went to the national competition. Uh, did that happen like where you went to Nebraska and to support the student like or was that something that got swept away by COVID? Oh, Lennon is so that's Lennon Audrain and he is still such a rock star student. We uh, communicate all the time. He sent me a message the other day wanting to get some information on Perkins because he's working on his doctoral program right now. But uh, he's wow. he's still doing great things. And he was he was on one of our webinars recently for NCLA sharing the student perspective and teacher perspective. So no, he nothing is going to stop him. <laughs> yeah. No, that that is so cool. Now, what are your what are some of your favorite moments about that you miss about being in the classroom? You know, I mean, you talk so much about those relationships. Mm, what do you miss yeah, the most? Yeah. So, and I, I had I've had a few moments lately of just really considering possibly going back to teach again. Oh, wow. um, I had a student who I know. <laughs> could be a seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I had, I had a student who, he was in my program for four years and we stayed in touch for years and he passed away this year. And it was just that moment of just the memories of the different events that we did. And, you know, just that you, you care, they're like your children and you know that as teachers. So, so that, that those relationship pieces are, are what I miss the most about teaching. And two, when I, when I discover something new and like virtual reality, I've really been into virtual reality lately. And last night, my nephew, who's 19, he was over for dinner. And so I'm like, oh, hey, have you tried Oculus Quest and teaching him how to, <laughs> how to use it and watching how quickly he picked up on it? Um, you know, those are, those are just things that are, are priceless that, uh, that educate, that really make being an educator, being a teacher worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. Wow. I love it. I love these seeds that we're planting. I love all these things are moving, like with the books, like, you know, you have this yes attitude. I love that one time you're just like, no more. I'm not going to be afraid uh, to get up there and speak. Um, and we also read about like your 10 pr uh, principles. Uh, can you talk about some of your favorite principles that you kind of teach uh, as you kind of go through, um, you know, like uh, to get, you know, the public speaking engagement side of everything? Yeah, you know, stories, I mentioned stories before, and I think that stories are powerful. And I think that sometimes people don't realize that they have a story or what that story is. So I think that helping people find their stories and recognize the impact that they can make on other people. Um, I, 
the humor is huge. Like if you're able to make someone laugh and connect with them, (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's something that uh, you, you don't laugh with someone that you don't like. So that also creates that relationship of, of wanting to learn from someone that you like. And I always say that students will go to the moon and back for a teacher that they like. And it's the same thing within a leadership, like with a workplace. I've stayed at jobs for longer than I probably should because that boss meant so much to me and I didn't want to disappoint that boss. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, I think that um, all, all of the principles are powerful principles. One of them that... Well, all of them are backed by brain research too. Like if you look at John Medina's brain rolls, um, every, everything that is in a, an element of an effective TED talk is backed by brain research. John Medina, he talks about if you're doing a talk that is a lecture, that even if you're not using active participation strategies because you're not able to for some reason, you can still switch between different modes because your brain gets tired. If you're, if you're just telling stories, your brain gets tired. Or if you're just using statistics, your brain gets tired. So being able to move between some data to the humor, to something a little bit more emotional, to the storytelling, that's something that's going to help to create a more effective presentation as well. Love that. Come Tuesday, I, I think I'm just going to do all my zooms on silence and like have the students like kind of engage my lesson and how engaging it I was, you know, plan. like <laughs> I, I want to know what they learned, like how much they yeah. would freak out. They're like, what's going on? I can't hear them. You're, I, I you may know, have like, to show up to these zooms. I'm super excited. <laughs> like, I think that <laughs> You know? and I'm going to tap into all 10 principles. I'm going to be moving back and forth. I'm going to be throwing data at them. They're just going to be like, does he know we can't hear him? And I'm just going to, I'm just going to yeah. try to be as engaging as possible and turn my Zoom lessons into a, my own very own mini TED Talk. You know, sometimes Zooms have gone wrong for me where I don't realize the kids can't hear me. So this could, you know, apparently I was doing that like ahead of the curve with that. You know? Nailed it. Yeah, nailed it. That's right. <laughs> well, and it does... With wearing masks, I realize how much our facial expressions and even reading some, I didn't realize how much I pay attention to reading someone's uh, lips as they're talking. And it's, you'll see people in stores like pull their mask down to talk to you. You're like, no. Yeah. Or sticking their heads around the shield and like, you know, so they can hear you. And, <laughs> and then like, like, I have a loud voice anyways, but like, I'm like, I'm like, bagel. Plain bagel <laughs> with cream cheese. Like, they're like, why is this guy yelling at me? Like, He's pantomiming. Yeah, bagel. yeah. But I mean, you know, <laughs> like, like pointing, like, <laughs> like that's an aggressive point. <laughs> but the thing is, is you know, like when I, we keep talking about, you know, getting back into the classroom and all of that, you know, I I like the engagement. I don't have to wear a mask when I'm talking to my kids, and so I can see their faces and I we can see expressions and all that. And so while engagement is a challenge virtually there's things that you can do that once we go back we're going to have to adjust for in person you know and that's one of the things you know we're going to be behind masks and still having that you know connection and conveying those moments I think it's going to be something we'll have to be so mindful of you know you know, and I was, I was on a Zoom meeting, uh, I guess it was about a week ago, and one of the directors from ACTE who was on the meeting, start, he had done the update on Zoom, which I still haven't done, but now there's these filters that you can use. So here we are in this very professional meeting, and all of a sudden he has on like a pair of like the, those glasses that you wear in 3D movies. Yeah. <laughs> we all 
have to start laughing. And I love that. And I thought, you know, if I were teaching virtually right now, I would just like have a moment where everyone is like picking out their favorite filter and just, you know, be adding some laughter into the, into that space. I love that. I mean, that, that's what we need. The world needs more laughter. I agree. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking some time oh out. Gosh, it was yes. so fun to sit down and pick your brain and hear what you've done and what you're you're going to do just next week. It's so exciting. And uh, we know there's going to be big things to come from you in the future here. So thank you very much. If you could give any advice to educators right now just to be more effective based on the things that you feel strongly about what is one thing that you would want to share I would say don't take yourself too seriously I think that right now during this time that it's I hear a lot of educators just becoming very overwhelmed or I you know beating themselves up feeling as if maybe the kids aren't engaged and I think that right now we have to give each other give ourselves and each other a lot of grace and and that's important. It's a it's a stressful time, and and beating yourself up is not going to help anyone, especially not your students. So I think that 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 can go a long way right now. I think that's great advice. I, I think beating yourself up never bodes well for anybody. No, I agree. As we always say, people, if you can be anything in the world, be kind. Now, if you loved hearing stories from Rachel Mann about the power of saying yes calling in sick just to avoid a, a, a speak in front of your peers, uh, a, a potential lawsuit from TED Talks for her company, Teach Like Ted, uh, the power of your social media presence. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Every Tuesday, the latest episode of The Nailed It Wall will be downloaded to your phone. And Rachel talked about the power of social media. We're on Twitter. If you love pictures, videos of our life story, our podcast, make sure you follow me at Mr. Lane, the STEM guy. And me at a positive proton. And Rachel, plug Rachel, all your social media. Rachel EDU, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-E-D-U. And that's across the board. Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm not I'm not on TikTok. Well, sort of I am, but I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we, we, we need you to step up your TikTok yeah. game. We, we, we just filmed announcements for TikTok Tuesday. We could get a TikTok from her. It's going to be TED Talk TikTok. <laughs> TED Talk, yeah. You, you could get the dual lawsuit there. Well, we thank you, Rachel.